Hello, good afternoon. I'm hoping everybody can hear me. Again, I have no idea though, because I'm streaming from Nebraska in the, in the basement of a, um, in the church here at St. Patrick's Church. So let's see here, let's see if we're on. Looks like we're on, so that's a pretty good reality. Okay, so again, you have Anchored in Hope with Father Larry Richards. Uh, again, it's a, um, we normally do it out of the studio, but I am in Fremont, uh, Nebraska at St. Patrick's Church doing my last night of a parish mission. So it's only two o'clock here as opposed to three o'clock is normal where I'm uh, doing all this stuff. So again, this is our time. I only have one question here that uh, they emailed me from um, uh, the internet. So everything else today, if you want to talk, you're going to have to live stream it with me. Uh, and that'll be, I have my iPad here, so it's the live chat there. So if you have any questions today, uh, just paste it into the, just type it into the live chat and I'll see it and I'll answer more of those questions than normal because that's what I got the most. Okay, so again, if anyone's in the area of uh, Omaha or Lincoln, Nebraska, tonight's the last night of the mission and tonight's the, uh, uh, I always say the easiest night of the mission because we just get to focus on uh, the healing and the power of God and all the great things that he does for us and we do it the presence of the most blessed sacrament tonight um, is just a, a, a great night. Um, the last couple of days have been fantastic here. And so it, it's good, but it's, it's time for me to go home to, <laughs> to get back to Erie tomorrow. I'm going to stop in Pittsburgh tomorrow afternoon, uh, hopefully, and uh, going to take my mother and stepfather out to lunch uh, and then head back up to Erie uh, Thanks again for all those who have been praying for my mother. Um, she's uh, physically unbelievably uh, perfect. Her, she's 80 years old, but is, uh, you would never think she's an 80-year-old uh, in any way, shape, or form. It's just her mind and her Alzheimer's. So um, I appreciate your continued prayers for her and my prayers, uh, your prayers that uh, all goes well tomorrow as I head back and I get there on time so I can see my mother and spend some time with her before I head up to Erie, Pennsylvania. So the first thing we need to do is pray. So let's pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Great God of love and mercy, we just ask you please to come into our hearts to take control of our lives to help us to truly love you above all things created. Jesus, we need to always stay focused on you and not ourselves and not in the world and not people's opinions, but you. The only way we can do that is through the power of your Holy Spirit. So send your Holy Spirit upon us, lead us, guide us, help us to always do your will and only your will. In your most holy name we pray, Amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Again, thank you for watching. Thank you for being with us. Uh, if those of you are here live, I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to come and uh, spend some time here with us. 
again, I just want to encourage everybody. We're only what? 17 days away, I think. Let's see here. 17 days to our Oktoberfest. We have 15 days. Oh my gosh. 15 days, two hours, 55 minutes and 54 seconds before our Oktoberfest in Erie, Pennsylvania. I know a bunch of you are already coming, so I encourage you, uh, come. Right now, we're all live online, and if you go and you click there, you can go and find out. We have a wiener dog race uh, there where people bring in their wiener dogs, and uh, we have these races, and we have prizes and everything else uh, for the wiener dogs. We also have a 5K walk run that's on Saturday morning. We also have all kinds of beer, German foods, free admission, of course. We have a coffee house. We have church tours if you want to see our beautiful 155-year-old church. Uh, you can come and see it, and you'll get some great tours. And then we have over 150 theme baskets. And you can go online right now at St. Joe's, uh, St. Joe's uh, BOL.org, St. Joe's BOL.org, or St. Joseph's BOL.org. It'll take you to the same place. And then you just click more information for Oktoberfest. And when you do that, you can sit there and see all the theme baskets, you know. So there's over 150 theme baskets there. And also you can get a ticket for our 2021 718 Boxster Porsche. And again, it's uh, what keeps us going here. So it's simple as 50 cents for a, a, a ticket for one of the theme baskets or $100 for the, the Porsche. And again, or at the War Porsche, you can also get $50,000, you your choice. So just go there to our website, stjoesbol.org, stjoesbol.org, or stjoesbol, it's for breadoflife.org, and uh, find out all the information. Again, if you're in the area, come visit. People even fly in just to come and be with us. It's a fine time. So I encourage you, that's October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, two weeks away, and come and be with us. It would be fantastic. Okay, so I got an email today that they forwarded to me and let me find it here. And it's an interesting one. And of course, it has to do with Pope Francis. And he was flying again. And you do realize every time he flies, he says things and people take it out of context. So I got the full context here and everything he said, which is always the best thing to do when dealing with our dear Pope. And uh, so we know exactly what he said, what he's, uh, instead of people's opinions and pushing it out and taking it out of context and everything else. So the question is from Daryl Welsh, and it says, I have read that Pope Francis said recently that he has never denied communion to anyone. And I never have either, as I've talked about before, because I never know what's going on in your soul and different things. But anyway, this has become a point of contention and is, a and is confusing to many Catholics, particularly with the current political climate in the United States. I appreciate your thoughts on this. Okay, and you will get them. So I want to, first of all, uh, it's, it's an American issue primarily, but the, the, prime, the, the question is about whether Biden and that, that's the big fight right now, whether Biden should receive communion. And people always ask me that question, what would I do? And I, I say the same things the Pope has, I would never deny communion any, to anyone. Why? Because I don't know what's going on in their, um, 
in their hearts. They could have just went to confession. Um, and the reality is God himself is the judge. Now, again, I'm, I'm saying this because when we deal with the scriptures, before I get into this, this is what the word of God says. So, and I don't think most Catholics get what God's word says, especially when it comes to communion. But this is, uh, those of you who have Bibles, I'd encourage you to go with me to 1 Corinthians. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, we're gonna go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and following, okay? And this is what it says. I received from the Lord what I handed on to you, namely that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread and after he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we can all agree with that and we like that because we know it's Jesus, truly body and blood, soul and divinity. Verse 25, in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this and whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And as he does this, he says, every time then you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. So again, we're participating in a true body, blood, soul, and divinity of God. And so he sets this up and he says, okay, this is what's happening. Now, we go to verse 27. This means that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily sins against the body and blood of the Lord. A man should examine himself first. Only then should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29, he who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks what? A judgment on himself. That is why verse 30 says, that is why many among you are sick and infirm and why so many of you are dying. So if you receive communion unworthily, the bread of life becomes the bread of death and you can get sick and die. That's what Paul's saying. So that's why, first of all, the church says you shouldn't go communion. You should not go to communion unless you're in a state of grace. Because if you're not in a state of grace to receive communion, you could be cursed, you could die. You could get sick, right? Because you receive communion unworthily. So the church is acting in love when we tell people not to go to communion. Every week at my parish, I say, everyone's welcome to receive communion or a blessing. To receive communion, you gotta be Catholic and in a state of grace. If you cannot receive communion for whatever reason, I encourage you to come up, put your hand over your heart, and that'll show us you want a blessing, and I'll gladly give you a blessing. So, sometimes we think that, no, 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 I gotta stand up for God, and I gotta do things so uh, God doesn't have to. Well, he says explicitly, the God himself will take care of this. He can curse them, kill them, whatever. God can handle that. So now let's go to what the Pope says. And again, I wanna to read to you the fullness of what's being said here because it's an important thing. This happened uh, two days ago, yesterday or two days ago. And this is the, the Pope. And he's being asked by Gerald O'Connell from the magazine America. You have often said that we are all sinners and that the Eucharist is not a reward for the perfect, but a medicine and food for the weak. Again, this is the question. As you know, in the USA, after the last elections, there was a discussion among the bishops about giving communion to politicians who supported abortion laws. 
And there are bishops who want to deny communion to the president and other officials. Some bishops are infavorable. Others say not to use the Eucharist as a weapon. What do you think? And what do you advise the bishops to do? And have you as a bishop in all these years publicly refused the Eucharist to anyone? So this is the question asked on the plane. And this is the full answer. Now, again, it's important we listen to the full answer because he uh, says some of the strongest stuff I've ever heard the Holy Fathers say against abortion. He calls it murder, period. And I've never heard him say that so explicitly as he does here. So again, this is the response, the full response of Pope Francis. And it's very important we always look to the full responses of things, not just what these people who think they know everything and they're the true Catholics, they take the quote and they throw it out there and said, see, see, see why we shouldn't follow the Pope. And those people will be, oh, stand before the God of the universe in judgment for their sins of detraction, their sins of gossip and all the other things they do and how they bring brought great division into the church. Never become an accuser. We've talked about this before. The devil is the one who accuses. The devil accuses. The devil accuses night and day. The devil accuses. Don't follow the devil. So listen now and listen to the whole thing. This is how Pope Francis answers the question. He says, I have never refused the Eucharist to anyone. I don't know if anyone has come in these conditions, meaning that the thing that he just asked. This, even as a priest, I have never been conscious of having a person like the one you describe in front of me that is true. So he says, like, uh, as far as he knows, a politician uh, supporting abortion has never come in front of him, as far as he knows. The only time I've ever had a nice thing happen was when I went to serve mass in an old people's home. I was in the living room and I said, who wants communion? And all the old people raised their hands and one little old lady raised her hand and took communion and said, thank you, I'm Jewish. <laughs> and I said, what I gave you is Jewish too. <laughs> so it happens, I've done certain things not on purpose and neither the Pope do this on purpose, but it's, it's great he shares this with us. Anyway, he continues, communion is not a prize for the perfect. Think of Jansenism. Jansenism, again, is a heresy in the church. Communion is a gift, a present. It is the presence of Jesus in the church and the community. Then those who are not in the community cannot take communion, he says, like this Jewish lady, but the Lord wanted to reward her without my knowledge. Out of the community, out of the community, excommunicated because they are not uh, they are not uh, baptized or they have drifted away. So he sets up the teaching that no one, be it they're excommunicated or outside the church, they should not receive communion. So he says the teaching which we all agree. Then he says this: the second problem is that of abortion. It's more than a problem. It's homicide. Whoever has an abortion kills. No mincing words. These are all his words. So he's saying it's homicide or it's murder. An abortion is murder is what Pope Francis says. And I bet you no one's been quoting this. I'll just bet you. 
because we hear what we want to hear and we proclaim what we want to proclaim to try to paint people in a bad light. So always go to the original source and read everything. Know it. Believe it. Take any book on embryology for medical students. The third week after conception, all the organs are already there, even the DNA. It's a human life. This human life must be respected. This principle is so clear. To those who cannot understand, I would ask this question. Is it right to kill a human life to solve a problem? Is it right to hire a hitman to kill a human life? Scientifically, it's a human life. Is it right to take it out to solve a problem? That is why the church is so harsh on this issue. Because if it accepts this, it is as if it accepts daily murder. A head of state told me that the demographic decline began because in those years there was such a strong law on abortion that six million abortions were performed and this left a decline in birth in society and that country. Now he goes on. Now we go to that person who is not in the community, who cannot receive communion. So again, he's acknowledging the, the truth. But the problem is not theological. It is pastoral. How we bishops manage this principle pastorally. And if we look at the history of the church, we will see that every time the bishops have not dealt with a problem as pastors, they have taken sides on a political front. Think of the night of St. Bartholomew's. Heretics, yes, let's cut their throats. Think of the witch hunts of Campo de Flora. It's the, the, the flower market in Rome when they killed the priest who was a heretic. And he has a big statue there now if you ever go there because he didn't agree with them, so they went and killed him. When the church defends a principle, when it does so in a non-pastoral manner, it takes sides on a political level. And this has always been the case just look at history. And so, what must a pastor do? Be a pastor. Don't go condemning. Be a pastor because he is a pastor, also for the excommunicated. So he says, you're the pastor also for the excommunicated. Pastors with God's style, which is closeness, compassion, and tenderness. The whole Bible says so. A pastor who does not know how to act as a pastor I am not very familiar with all the details of the United States, but if you're close, tender, and give communion, it's a hypothesis. The pastor knows what to do at all times, but if you go beyond the pastoral dimension of the church, you become a politician, and you can see this in all non-pastoral condemnations of the church. If you say you can give or not give, this is causatory, Remember the storm that was whipped up by Amoris Latentia? Remember that? <laughs> heresy! Heresy! They said. Fortunately, Cardinal Shorben, a great theologian, was there. He clarified things. They are children of God and they need our pastoral closeness. Then the pastor resolves things as the Spirit indicates to him. So that's the full answer to the question. So the Holy Father, again, is saying, 
you know, we got to sit there and tell people what's right. It's up for us to declare the truth. Absolutely. Abortion is murder. In my mind, there's nothing worse that we do in the world today than kill our unborn children. It's the worst thing ever. If you want a homily on it, just go to Father Larry Richards and enough and put it in Google and you'll get a very strong homily against abortion. But when we sit there and we set ourselves up as judges, as pastors, and we sit there and we try to read what's going on in a person's soul, which we cannot, then we become problematic. Then we become like politicians. And in America today, people are more willing to follow the old president than they are to follow the Pope and they call themselves Catholic. If you're more willing to follow a president than the Pope, you have separated yourself from the church. It's just that simple. We are Catholics for goodness sakes. That's what we do. So then we go, on. I just want to, again, to talk, take to you another place. This is the gospel today because the question also came down and says, isn't this confusing? Well, of course. Don't you think Jesus was confusing? Hopefully, those of you who go to daily mass, of course, went and heard the readings today. And the gospel today, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it sits there and says, a certain Pharisee invited Jesus to dine with them and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And then we know the story. And then this woman came in, a woman known to be a sinner, a public sinner, exactly the exact same thing. And this is how Jesus deals with this. Now there was a sinful woman in the city. Everyone knew she was sinful, whatever she was doing. And you usually would separate yourself from these sinners. Bringing an alabaster flask of ointment, she stood behind him at his feet, weeping and bathed his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed him and anointed them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he's an accuser. He said to himself that this man were a prophet. He would know who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. She is a sinner. Jesus said to him in reply, Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, two people are indebted to a certain creditor. One owed 500 days wages and the other owed 50. Since they were unable to repay the debt, he forgave them both. Which of them will love him more? Simon said in reply, the one I suppose whose larger debt is forgiven. He said, you've judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman, you see this woman? When I entered your house, she did not give me water for my feet, but she has bathed them with her tears, tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but she has not ceased kiss, kissing my feet since the time I entered. You did not anoint my oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. So I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, and she has shown great love. But to one who is little is forgiven, but to one whom little is forgiven loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. The others at table said to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Now, again, you could say these people have not repented. As far as you know, again, a priest, when he's uh, given that communion, the Biden could have went to confession and repented uh, 10 minutes before mass to somebody else. I have no idea. So when I'm publicly pointing him out and he might've went to confession or he might've had a repent heart, I don't know. But the thing of it is, if I give him communion, God will judge him. God will be the one who can get him sick or even kill him. I led it to God to be the judge. I am the instrument of mercy. And so with the Holy Father. 
Now, again, there's going to be some people that no matter what, they want us to stand back in judgment and say, no, it can never happen, Father. But again, like last night, I'm here, or two nights ago, I'm doing this parish mission here. And I says to the people, of course, you know, you cannot go to communion unless you're in a state of grace. Now, again, we all buy that. We all believe that and different things. But just say this, like God says, like tonight, when you, or whenever you go to confession or you go and you go to mass, you say the Lord's prayer. And when we say the Lord's prayer, it says, forgive me as I forgive. Well, when Jesus taught us the Lord's prayer, immediately he explained it. He says, if you forgive others, your heavenly father will forgive you. If you do not forgive others, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. So we must forgive one another or be damned. So I told them. So if you have not forgiven anybody, if you haven't talked to your brother, sister, mother, father, son, or daughter, you refuse to forgive anybody, you are forbidden to go to communion because you can bring a judgment on yourself and you can bring death on yourself. Now, I said that, I said, make sure because it's just like if, you've, uh, if you're pro-choice and everything else, it's all the same. All those things forbid you from receiving communion. And if you go, you can bring judgment upon yourself. But I didn't deny anyone communion. I spoke the truth. Now God will fulfill the punishment if that's what's necessary. Sometimes we want to take the place of God. And we can't do that. Just like you don't want people to do that to you. We can't do that to others. Do you get it? Now, again, I know people sit there and say, I don't agree with you, Father. Of course you don't agree. I know. You know, that's the whole point. But I'm still going to speak truth. This is truth. This is the way Jesus did it. This is the way the Holy Father is telling us to do it. And again, uh, period. That's all I can say. Okay. Okay. Hi, Father Larry. My husband Paul and I are still coming to Italy with you in a few weeks. Anything you suggest to prepare for the trip? Yeah, I'm going to be sending out an email. I just got everybody's email today and I'm going to, when I get back, so Monday you'll be getting an email from me. Uh, we're up to 29 people now, so more people are coming. There's still openings if you want to come. It's going to be a great trip to Italy for the 10 days. Um, again, you just put Father Larry in Google and Italy trip and you can do that. And so, but again, make sure, like I'm gonna get a, uh, a booster before I go uh, to Italy. I've been vaccinated and again, I'm gonna get the booster, but it should be a fine time, that's all. So, but I'll be sending an email with different things. So thanks for coming. It'll be great to have you both here. What gave you the idea to travel and do missions and conferences? How did all that come about? It's because that's what the Lord happened. I didn't plan it. I think that uh, part of the planning was uh, I was converted by Billy Graham and I always thought, I wanna do the same thing in the Catholic Church. You know, my greatest desire as a priest, but also as a missionary, if you will, as an evangelist, is to bring everyone into a relationship with Jesus, period. I want everyone to live forever, period. Why? Because that's in God's heart. That's what God wants. God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of his truth. So it's always been part of that. And so, again, I didn't go looking for it, though. You know, it's just people, Father, people would ask and say, Father, can you come and give a talk? And then I start doing a mission. And just like uh, two weeks ago, I had, uh, I had one of my very first missions was up in uh, Cleveland. 
And someone who was going to be ordained in a couple of weeks, he came up and he says, uh, we were blessing him. I had never met him before. Well, I guess I did. And he says, just so you know, Father, he was telling all the people that one of your first missions, if not your first mission, I remember the Thursday night when you took around the Blessed Sacrament, I could touch the humeral veil. And that's when I got my vocation. He said, it took me 30 years or whatever. So now here I am. And uh, so it's just the fruits of mission. Or last night when I spoke on the... Uh, I'm a very, very strong talk. Again, you can find it on the internet. It's called, it's called just, um, it's called What More Could He Do For You? Very, very intense talk. And we talk about what it cost Jesus to forgive us our sins. And as we talk about that, then people go to confession. And so last night I had people who hadn't been to confession in 55 years, 45 years, 40 years. Many people have been away from the church for so long, finally came back. And that's when all the angels sing. The angels of God sing when people come home. And what we need to do, like even people who are pro-abortion, we need to bring them and convert them. So, what's the best way to convert them? Yelling and screaming, ostracizing them, throwing them out, or meeting them to where they're at and get them to where they need to be. Can't tell you how many people came to me yesterday that changed their heart on abortion. Not because of me screaming, because I told them how to be healed. That's what God does. He comes to heal us. And we got to do that so that everybody be saved. Again, none of that means we don't stand up for truth. None of that means the Holy Father called abortion murder twice. This is very harsh, he says, but this is truth. So the teaching isn't changing at all. It's pastorally how we deal with it, how we deal with people. How do we get them to be converted? How do we get them to become pro-life? That's the point. We want them to become pro-life. That's the point. How do we get them there? That's where we might have discussions. Okay. Oh, Father Larry, God bless you. Thank you. To the president of the U.S. and others who believe it's okay to abort the unborn child, fetus embryo compass cells, my question is, when would it have been okay? It's never okay, never, never, never okay to kill babies. I mean, that's the point. It's never okay. But what's gonna change and what we have to do? How do we stop abortion? We stop abortion by changing hearts, not just changing laws, because you do realize even when abortion was illegal, people still had abortions. We got to really show them the beauty of life inside of them. Remember when I was in high school, I was still even very young, maybe a freshman in high school. I was very pro, pro-life. And one of my girlfriends, not for me, thank you, was a girl who was a friend, not my girlfriend, was pregnant and she was going to have an abortion. And I did everything to talk her out of it. And I made her listen to the John Denver song. You ever hear, I remember John Denver, he had a song that was called, I Want to Live. I want to live, I want to grow, I want to be, I want to know. And I sat there and I says, this baby inside of you is crying that out right now. I want to live, I want to be, I want to grow. I want all these experiences. Listen to your baby. That works much more than someone who already hates themselves and don't think that they'll ever get support of anybody and they think they can't do it alone, so they kill that baby. 
instead of us walking with them and saying, I will be with you, I will help you. That's why to me, the biggest thing we do against abortion is we have these women's care uh, places throughout the United States that take these girls and say, we will be with you. And like the one here in Nebraska and Oma and Lincoln, I was there yesterday and they actually take them and they walk with them and get them through the pregnancy. And then they stay with them for the first five years of that child's life. That's pro-life. That's walking with people. That's saving thousands and thousands of babies. That's how we're going to do it. And we must do it. But all this fighting, especially the political fighting, all it does is make other people enemies. And when it makes other people enemies, all they do is stay more entrenched in their beliefs. My yelling and screaming about that particular thing has never converted anybody. But the converting of bringing their hearts to God has saved lots of babies. So those are the type of things. We, we all have the same thing. We want to stop abortion, period. We want to stop abortion. Okay. So here we go. Da, 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 da. Oops, when your son is not a person, the day before you were born. Yeah, again, Judith, it's 100%. The baby's immediate. I, again, we, but that's the whole thing. We have to talk to these people and we got to get them to where they got to be. God said, let the children come to me. Don't prevent them, says the Lord. Amen. You got that right. Thank you for coming to Fremont. Thanks, Joseph. I was at one of the 10 p.m. I was the one at 10 p.m. asked you about your fasting resume. Okay, good job. Today was not a fast day. I went out today for breakfast over at um, the village restaurant or something. I saw some of the parishioners there. Um, and so today was, I didn't eat carbs, but I had breakfast today. Once or twice a week, I try to uh, mix it up so people, um, uh, so my body doesn't get used to me just fasting. So that's part of the reality. Thanks uh, for coming. It was very good. Tonight, again, is the last night. Encourage a lot of people. It's one of the biggest things here. We haven't had, we've had about three quarters of the church filled. Um, and there's a grade school right across the street with very few of the, the kids or their families have come in. And that always concerns me, that Catholic schools, and they don't come to these type uh, events. And a mission can change people's lives forever. It's an evangelization tool that can, I can't tell you all the missions I've done throughout the years and all the people have come into a living, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what's so, so important. Okay. So how specific should one be in confession? For example, should one say, I lied? Or should one say whether it's a very small lie or a big lie? Thank you. Again, when it comes, excuse me, when it comes to mortal sins, and I'm sorry, I'm sitting on a bed in a basement. I call it the dungeon of this church, St. Patrick's Church. So I'm just sitting here. So it's very uncomfortable as I'm trying to do this and look into my phone uh, as this goes on. But anyway, the teaching of the church is uh, you need to give kind and number. You know, it doesn't mean when I say that, it, like, if you lie, you can't sit there and say, you know, I lied, I think I lied, uh, no, 220 times in the last two years. Well, come on, that was just probably another lie because you didn't count them every time. So you could sit there and say, I've lied a lot. If it's a mortal sin, like you had an abortion, 
Then you got to sit there and say, I had one abortion, two abortions, five abortions. You got to be specific about each one. But the other ones, like when I do the questions, like I did last night with a lot of the people, they're in and out in 60 seconds and it's just giving a general, yes, I did this, I had sex or I had uh, an abortion, but we go more detail with that type of things. And to really, but again, you need to give kind of number officially at teaching the church, but just say many times, a couple times, it's only like big ones. If you murdered somebody, you'd have to say, I just murdered one person, God forbid anybody does. Um, but you'd have to give, depending, mortal sins need to be uh, explicitly uh, uh, talked about more, okay? So, <coughs> okay, Father Larry, and this is the last question I got, so if this is the last question, we we'll early today unless someone else uh, brings some more here. Father Larry, what's the meanings of the sins of contempt? Uh, Jen, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, that particular thing, sins of contempt. Uh, I would encourage you to look it up. Um, I don't know. I've never heard that thing before. As far as I know, I haven't, haven't heard it. You know, the, the, when I do a mission, like last night, when I talk about the, the two main types, two main types of sins are sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of omission are the things we failed to do. Sins of commission are the ones we've done. Now, again, People often, like I've been hearing confessions now for 32 years, and what most people do is they all focus on the sins of um, commission. You know, that I yelled at somebody or I was bad or different things. But the greatest of sins, according to Jesus, what sends us to hell forever, and very few people confess, are the sins of omission. And the sins of omission, again, uh, according to Matthew chapter 25, it says, the only time you hear Jesus explicitly say this, and when the Son of Man comes in all his glory, he will separate the sheep between the goats, and he will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, says the Lord. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, because I was hungry and he gave me food, I was thirsty, he gave me drink, da 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 then he'll say to those on his left, get out of my sight, you condemned into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Because I was hungry and he gave me no food. I was thirsty and he gave me no, uh, no drink. So again, what happens there is he says, and the just will go to eternal life, the unjust to eternal punishment. So Jesus Christ, our Lord, our God, the savior of the universe says explicitly who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? Those who take care of the poor go to heaven, according to Jesus. Those who do not go to hell. So that's why, again, it's so important that some people think all I have to do is go to daily mass and say my rosary and do divine mercy because Our Lady says or this or that. Well, here is Jesus, the God of the universe, who you and I will stand before on Judgment Day, and he tells us explicitly who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. So if Jesus says this, we need to pay attention. We need to really repent from sins of omission. We really, and repent means that we start. We all need to be taking care of the poor. Not every once in a while, it has to be a consistent taking of the poor, taking care of the poor. You know, we should all be tithing, meaning 10% of our income goes to God. It doesn't have to go to your church, please. I encourage you not to give it all to your church. You know, a good way is 5% to your church because they feed you every week and 5% uh, to the poor. However you do that, 
because it belongs to God. All your money belongs to God. And he says, I've given you so much, or even if he's given you little, and I want you to share it. Don't put yourself first. Put yourself last. Give 10% off the top to the poor, to, the, to God, however he wants it. It's he's in charge of your money. So if he can't be in charge of your money, he can't be in charge of your eternal salvation because money's nothing compared to eternal life. So if you can't trust him with your money, how can you trust him with eternal life? So again, God calls us to be generous, 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 to be generous. We must be generous. We just gotta do it. So I encourage you, please be generous. Please do this because this is what God asks of us, okay? So how do you counter criticism? The church is too rich and has too much art, etc., and should sell it all and give all the money to the poor. Well, I don't buy that either because we have to give to God what belongs to God. And so we have to, you know, if we have great things in our house, if we have great things in our cars and whatever it is, then we got to give the best to God. At the same time, we got to make sure we're taking care of the poor. So it's not either or, it's both and. Like the church has the most beautiful places in the world of places of worship, but no one takes care of the poor more than the Catholic church. Explicitly, look it up. No one takes care of the poor more than the Catholic church. So it's not either or, it's both and. So we give to God the best. You know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself or as Jesus goes deeper. And, he, or he, and when he says, you shall love one another as I have loved you, which means we give our life for others. So again, this is the call of God. And so we do have beautiful places of worship, but that's because we wanna give our best to God. You know, that's all. But again, if it comes to a worship place or taking care of the poor, I would, uh, you know, a lot of scriptures and a lot of stuff says we need to take care of the poor because they could die. The church can survive, but people can die. So we got to make sure that we're taking care of the poor. Absolutely. This is what, uh, you know, keeps us alive. And so when I talk about this stuff, people think, well, Father Larry's just into social justice. Please, I hate the word social justice with all my heart. I call it love, the love of God for the love of people. You know, again, as uh, St. John Vianney says, this is the glorious duty of man, that we pray and that we love. So when we pray and we love, that means acts of charity, that means we have daily prayer life. And so when we're building churches, that's part of our prayer, you know, and we're part of loving God and loving others. So I hope that helps, okay? so. Ryan says, Father Larry, is there a recent saint or two's lives who's really resonate with inspire you, maybe more than others? In the recent ones, uh, Pierre Giorgio Frasetti has always been one of my favorites. He's uh, uh, blessed, he's not a saint yet, but John Paul II really put him up there. He died uh, young. If you ever see a picture of, you can look him up on Pierre Giorgio Frasetti. If the true picture's there, he has a... Uh, a pipe in his mouth, but a lot of people take, because again, we like to sanitize our saints. And when we sanitize our saints, we don't make them real anymore. And we almost put out a lie. He had a pipe, he smoked a pipe. That's okay, you can smoke a pipe and be a saint. He was only, I think, 24 years old when he died, but he had great devotion to two things. The Eucharist, unbelievable devotion to Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. And as true devotion is, 
He had unbelievable devotion to the poor. In fact, when he died, it was the poor who came from the streets from all over for his funeral, and his family had no idea. He came from a very wealthy family, uh, and his grandmother was dying, and he went over there to be with his, I mean, in the house, she's dying, and then he doesn't feel good, and he goes in the other room, and he dies before his grandmother dies. But again, he was very healthy, he was a mountain climber, so I encourage you to look up Pier Giorgio Frasetti. Great, great layman, had no desire to be a priest, uh, as far as we know, but he had great desire to love God and to love others. And uh, again, to me, that's one of the greatest things we can do. And if we do that, we are well on the road to sanctity and to being saints, okay? So, do, 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 do. What is the purpose of art and beauty in the church? Well, the first it's again, given the best to God, but it also inspires us. Like yesterday, I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they have their Newman uh, Chapel down there. Honest to goodness, you know, they, they're, my friends are saying, okay, let's go, I'm, we're gonna show you this Newman Chapel. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go, another chapel. But it, I, I was awestruck. It is so beautiful. And it's this humongous, beautiful, it's like one of the most beautiful churches I've ever seen, done in the old style with these beautiful old style uh, uh, stage, uh, uh, stained glass from Germany. And the back stained glass with Christ and judgment sitting on the throne, absolutely beautiful. It was just beautiful. And what's even more beautiful is there was two college kids kneeling there in front of the Blessed Sacrament, praying doing holy hours because the Blessed Sacrament was exposed. They have um, perpetual, I don't know, perpetual adoration, but they have adoration there. And the place is packed. There's vocations that come from this place. So the art and beauty of this church inspires people to pray. It sure inspired me. I was thinking about it all day, right, literally, right before I came on here, I was looking at the pictures of this beautiful uh, church. I'd encourage you, I don't know if it's online, but it, I would imagine so, but it's the Newman Center in Lincoln, Nebraska. And it is just beautiful. By far, it's the most beautiful <laughs> Newman Center in the, in the whole world, by far, I can't even imagine. But it's just gorgeous. And it's that way, and it inspires and brings up the minds and hearts of us to God. All beauty is, St. Augustine deals with beauty a long time ago. Beauty, it, we can get stuck on it, and that's what many people do. But if we go into it, we look at the creator of the beauty, of the beautiful, who is God. And so it inspires us. If you ever come to my church, again, if you come to my Oktoberfest then on the first weekend of October, you'll see I have a very beautiful church. And the purpose is, so when you go into the church, to show you that you're leaving the world and you're going to heaven. Yesterday in Lincoln, I felt I was going to heaven in this church. I knew I was in the presence of God. It wasn't a pizza hut, it wasn't a mall, it wasn't a box, it was a church. And the beauty of this church led me to a deeper intimacy with the God that created the universe, who made the stars, who made the beautiful sky, the beautiful sunsets, the beautiful um, sunrises. This is the same God who inspires beauty. And that's how he touches us, through beauty. So I hope that helps. Okay. Shalom, Father, shalom. 
Sometimes scriptures in the Bible are confusing. Lots of times they are. <laughs> Sorry, they're upstairs cleaning and pushing a vacuum. So if you hear that, what are you going to do? Uh, anyway, Shalom, Father. Sometimes scripture in the Bible are confusing. Why do you think Jesus teached in parables that can cause a different interpretation? Hence the Protestants' deviation from the Catholic Church. It wasn't just uh, that, of course. Um, it wasn't just like parables that taught that, even when he says explicit things, like he says in John chapter six, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. He was very explicit about it, but in John 666, the Antichrist verse, John 666, it says uh, his disciples could no longer follow him and left his company over the teaching in the Eucharist. So even when Jesus was explicit about something, his followers left. It was confusing to them. They thought he meant uh, cannibalism. And so they just, they left him. And so throughout the years, people leave the church for so many different reasons. And it's usually not because of the parables. The parables are intentionally told us to convey truth and so that we can go deeper and deeper into that truth. And so it's always speaking anew and showing us deeper truth. Why? Because God is that way. God always, as we enter into this intimacy with God, it's always, we always go deeper and deeper and deeper. Why? Because God is forever. He's a mystery. And that's what he's calling us all to do, enter into this. So that's why Jesus taught in parables, so that uh, we can always go deeper into the truth. That's why the parables still speak to us today. But again, it ain't just that that causes confusion. Like earlier when I read the gospel today, people were going crazy that he was reaching out and touching a sinner. He let a sinner touch him, a woman. Oh my gosh. It was, he caused more scandal in his day, Jesus did. He caused more confusion because again, when Jesus, again, the woman caught in the middle of adultery, the law said, the law is very clear. God wrote the law. The law said anyone who commits adultery should be stoned. They come to Jesus and they say, the law says that she should be stoned. He knows he's God, he wrote the law. But then he says, you who are without sin cast the first stone. You see, when God says that to all of us, we all need to run away because all of us have sin. All of us sins are different. Now we sit there and say other people's sins are the worst sins and we make sure we let them know. But before God, our sins can still send us to eternal damnation just as much. And so we got to sit there. I always say, you can always tell true people when they've really repented, they become more compassionate to others. When people hate others more after true repentance, I don't think it's true because I think they have more self-hatred than looking at the God who died for them and paid the penalty for their sins. They think they have to earn salvation. And boy, we have a lot, a lot of speakers in the church today that are pushing that. But again, it's a heresy that was dealt with over a thousand years ago. We need to be people that the God who has mercy on us, we need to give mercy to others. That's what brings others to a deeper intimacy, okay? So, hello, Father Richard, it says here, is it okay to put most of the money towards helping poor animals and some towards helping people? <laughs> I wish I could say yes, but no. 
People always come first. Most of your money should go to people, not to animals. Because again, statistically, 15,000 children die every day in the world because of starvation, 15,000. So when you and I come before God on judgment day and he says to us, why did 15,000 children die every day while you were alive? What are you gonna say? They weren't my kids. They go, nope, they weren't. They were mine. And I gave you abundantly so you could save them, but you chose not to. So of course you can give money to save animals. I love animals. Again, my dog's dying um, and it's killing me. And so he's still alive. So when I get to see him tomorrow, it'll be really good. But he has cancer, so who knows how much longer he's gonna be here. But the reality is, I put money towards my dogs every day, but I better darn sh make sure that my tithe isn't going to my dogs or my animals. My tithe is going to God and his church, okay? But I would still keep taking care of uh, animals. Absolutely, Richard, absolutely. Sins of omissions. What if you try to stay homebound? What if you try and stay homebound because you have COPD and also have no money and live check to check? You'll have more money when you take some of that check and you give it to the poor. As long as you're only concerned about yourself and putting yourself first, you're always, always gonna be in need. Always, always. God promises us, if we are generous, God will be generous to us. Let me, do you really, really believe that you can be more generous than God? Do you really, really believe if you put God first that he will not take care of you? I say it a million times. If, put, you know, and it's the only thing God says, test me on this. So you tithe, check to check. Like I used to tell my kids, if you make $100 a week, you give $10 to the poor. What? Yes. And then watch how God blesses you. But if you say, no, 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 I can't share anything. I got to put myself first. I would worry. I would truly worry. And one of the things, even if you're homebound, you darn well better be praying for other people by name. You couldn't be like a, a Carmelite nun, but you need to be sharing. You need to have a generous spirit. Don't look for an excuse. Look for how I can be generous. Look for all the ways you can do that. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, God will bless you. If you tithe for one month, try one month. If God doesn't bless you, stop. I've been saying this for many years and no one's ever stopped because you cannot outgive God in generosity. You just can't do it. I promise you that. I 100% promise you that, Leslie. Okay? Mary Mayo, what happens to masses offered for the repose of a soul who is in heaven? What does God do with those masses? He puts it to someone else's soul. Again, because if not, then only rich people get to go to heaven, right? I used to argue with the old priest who used to live with me and he'd say, how many masses are you going to have said for you when you die? And I said, one. He goes, one? You think one mass is enough to get your sorry soul out of purgatory? I go, I think one drop of the precious blood of Jesus is enough to get my soul out of the purgatory. Thank you very much, Father. So if I have like a thousand masses said for me and I'm already in heaven, well, does that go to waste? Of course not. God uses that for others. We don't tell God what to do with our prayers. We give them to him and then he distributes them as he will. So never despair, never worry. God will take care of that. Again, God is God. Think about this. God is God. He can do all this stuff. 
Okay, if you heard of three levels of purgatory, a Catholic friend told me about this today, I'm skeptical. I'd be skeptical. <laughs> the only thing the church teaches about purgatory is one, that exists, and two, it's a good and holy thing and pray to pray for the dead. Everything else, including three levels of purgatory, is theological speculation. A saint could even have said it, but it doesn't make it the official teaching of the church. And when it comes right down to it, people stay with the official teaching of the church. That's what's gonna save us forever. Got it? You get it? You're gonna do it? May each of you know his love today and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. May almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. Have a blessed day and we'll see you, God willing, uh, next Thursday on my podcast, but you can also, again, I'll be, I've been doing my homilies every day and posting them on uh, Podbean, but you'll also be able to uh, uh, watch in person again. I will have Mass this Sunday at 11 a.m., and I'll see you there, okay? God bless you. Please, please pray for me.